Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Brandon Lucero, founder of Sold With Video. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm good. I'm excited to be here and appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Same goes for you, my friend. Let's jump right in. What sure. is your story? Um, well, so basically, my story starts, I'm assuming, very similar to a lot of entrepreneurs out there, which is kind of like you do the whole lemonade stand and you always try different things like through high school and in college. Um, but for me, like when I truly discovered entrepreneurship, it was in college where I realized I didn't want to go get a job. So I figured out ways to make money online. And so what I used to do was, um, create humor based websites, drive a ton of traffic to them to the point where some of them were getting even like 20,000 unique visitors a day. And then what I would do is just turn around and flip them. So I would make six, eight, $10,000 a pop. And I just redo this process over and over and over again. Um, and I, at the time I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create like this media empire of just like humor based websites that college kids would go to. Um, but what ended up happening is I ended up dropping out of school and, uh, working for my dad who owned a video production company and I got really comfortable there. And so I kind of lost that entrepreneur drive. And so what happened was business there started to go really bad. Paychecks were coming in late. Um, I was in a really bad spot financially, and then the company went completely under, and I was left basically with no college degree, no money, and just trying to figure out what to do. So I was working like three jobs, just trying to make ends meet. Um, everything from being a door-to-door -door salesman to um, trying to build websites for people on the side. From there, I eventually went and started my own company. Um, I started going the route of building out niche sites and ranking them in the search results. And I was actually following Pat Flynn for the longest time of like his niche site project thing of like how to make money off of these niche sites and how you can just kind of like sit there and collect a check from Google every month. And I did that for six months, built it up to a couple thousand dollars a month. And then overnight that was gone uh, because of the algorithm changes. And then I fell back into what I know uh, or thought I knew, which was video and started doing real estate video and then from there started applying seo tactics started ranking it offering it as a service got into courses and programs and where we're at now is really what i feel like my true calling and reason for being on this planet is which is um is really we're a messaging company we help people get impactful messages out there in a way that the human mind processes information so um, i'm a big believer that if your business is not selling or your content is not getting any traction it's a messaging problem it's not a funnel problem it's not a strategy problem it's a messaging problem then the second part of our company is marketing we know how content plays into um basically marketing and how we can pull people in and then the last piece of what we do is video production and video is essentially our vehicle that we use because i feel like it's the best medium out there so um that is my 10-year story in five minutes <laughs> let's jump back into your childhood sure what was it like for you as a little kid you know what was it like with your family in that whole dynamic yeah, um, I feel very fortunate in the sense that I, I had a really privileged childhood. I definitely did not grow up um, like really struggling for anything. My dad was a firefighter. My mom was a nurse, and they made great money. We lived in a huge house, um, and so growing up, I, you know, honestly, I was probably a little entitled, and I was probably, um, yeah, I, I, I probably a little spoiled. Um, but I always had this drive of working hard and that was something that my parents always 
taught to me is, is to like work hard. And so even though they had money, like we had this giant house and this giant property, my dad always made us every weekend go out and like pull the weeds and cut the grass and do all this stuff. Like my Saturdays were always spent just working around the house. Um, and then they kind of pushed me into running. And so one of the things that for me, especially going into high school was, um, being a really good runner and like running basically as a competitive long distance runner, you're, you're going through pain every day. Like your running is not an easy thing. And so, and when you're pushed to the limits every day, every day, every day, it really taught me how to be disciplined, how to work hard, how to go through suffering, knowing that there's an end goal, um, and also take on a lot of leadership. And so even though I did grow up with a very good childhood, um, I was taught like work hard for what you want, have a goal and work towards the goal. You're not going to just sit around and, and get paid an allowance for doing nothing. Like you're going to have to work for everything that you have. Um, and it was, and I was the oldest as well. So a lot of the things my parents had to go through, uh, I was the first one they had to go through it with. And so I feel like they're a lot more lenient with my brothers and, and not so much with me. Like I was basically like the, the test of how to, <laughs> how do we parent? Cause we don't know, you know? Um, but all in all, I, the childhood was good. It was like very outdoors. It was always encouraging. My parents, um, were loving parents. Like I have, I, I feel like I've had one of the best childhoods that, that anyone can even, even ask for. When you were at the dinner table with mm-hmm. your folks and I, it seems like you had a few siblings as well. Yeah. What was that conversation like? What, what would y'all talk about? Like what was valued in, in your house? It's a good question. Um, for us, it was just basically about how your day was. Um, it was very much, uh, and it was a set thing. It was like every, every night dinner was at this time. We all sit at the table. We all eat dinner together. We talk about our day. Um, and then afterwards we all had our chores of doing what you needed to do, um, like cleaning up and all of that stuff. Um, you know, it's a good question. I've never been asked that question of like what we talked about at the dinner table, but so to reflect back on it, I think we just kind of talked about our day and, and it was just good. It was just good conversation. It was, there was, um, and I think my parents did a really good job of keeping things really positive and coming down on us when we were needed to come, like needed to be reprimanded and stuff. But, um, I think that that's all I can really remember is just, it was just about, how our day was and what's going on in our minds and what we're thinking about and, and that type of stuff. You mentioned how every day at a certain time and the same time, it seems mm-hmm. that's when dinner would be. So there seems to be uh, structure or there seemed to have been structure in that dynamic. Do you, do you think that that structure was pervasive throughout your household and do you think that structure has had an impact on you as an individual later down the road? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, there was definitely structure in our household. Um, my dad was a firefighter and he was a captain uh, at the fire department. My mom was a nurse. And so when you work in those professions, the entire profession is structure. Like when you're in the fire department, it's this is the way it happens and this is the way things are put away and this is the protocol and this is whatever. I mean, it's 100% structure and same with being a nurse. And I, I never realized that as a kid is like 
my entire childhood was structure. Like on Saturdays, we, we go pull weeds until X, Y, until this time. Um, you are to go pick up your brother at this time because you now have a driver's license. And it was like the same thing every day, structure, structure, structure. Um, and I never even realized it till you asked me this question right now, but I hate structure. And so I think as a kid, um, I lived such a structured life without realizing it. And then now it comes through in my business where obviously we need structure. Um, but I resist structure. Like I thought I wanted to be a fireman and I did the cadet program in high school and I went on the calls and did all that stuff and I freaking hated it. And I hated like being told this is what you need to do. And this is the protocol and you need to go pick up this. And you, I just don't, I just don't like it. And I would never be a great employee because I don't like structure. And so, um, and you know, it did play out into my business a lot and it's played out in like us hitting a plateau in our business. And finally, um, I have an integrator now and a COO Taylor who basically creates the structure within, um, the company and kind of keeps me in alignment, but like, yeah, I'm, I am not good with structure and I never really realized it probably came from living a structured childhood until right now. So great question. <laughs> As you were getting older and you were going into high school, Mm-hmm. What was that experience for you? You mentioned running, but what were some of the other key points that really st- stands out when you think about your high school experience? My high school experience was um, the be- so it was it, it was very confusing in the beginning, like trying to figure out who I am. And so where I came from is I, I went to this elementary school and we were in between two different towns. And so I went to junior high in one town, which is where not my friends went to the other place. My mom thought this was better school. So I went there, but then after junior high, I went back to this other school. So I didn't, I, and I was constantly moving districts with new friends and I didn't know. So when I went back into high school, it was me rediscovering, um, like who my friends were and finding those new groups of, of people. But it was also a lot of, um, confusion of like being like going between the groups of popular kid and not so popular kid and a lot of that stuff. And so there's this like struggle where one school is the popular kid that now the school I'm not. Um, and then also I was, I made the football team and I was a skinny freshman who was maybe 120 pounds and I just got bashed around on the football field. Um, and I was always pretty good at sports and I just quit, went into football and I'm like, I am not good at this. I'm getting my butt handed to me. And so it was a lot of just kind of like, who am I? What am I here to do? Like, where's my place kind of stuff, especially freshman year. Um, but this unique transition happened where, um, oh, also I got cut from the baseball team. So I didn't make the baseball team, which was what I was going to do. Like I played baseball. I was made the all-star teams growing up. And then I'm like, oh, I'm clear. I'm going to be the baseball team. And then I make the team. So my parents forced me to go into track because I was a good runner. And then, um, from track going into sophomore year, that's when I started to realize, wow, I'm actually really good at this thing. And so, I ended up being like the number one or two runner in the varsity team as a sophomore. And, um, there was this unique transition of like, here's who I am. I'm good at this. I have my confidence. I know my place. And from there, it was just kind of learning that determination, the, the learning how to like visualize and go after a goal, how to lead a team. All of that stuff was like something that I learned through, um, the last three years in high school. So from like sophomore year to senior, it was just, I mean, I was, I I knew who I was. I knew what I was going to accomplish. I knew what I was good at and like nobody was going to get in my way. Um, So there's this weird, weird transition of being this like this lost skinny freshman to this confident um, leader on on the, on the track team. And I ended up getting a full ride to UC Irvine from it. So it was, it was cool. 
but yeah, that's, that's kind of my high school experience. When you're making that transition from this ninth grader who doesn't really know what his purpose is or what he's supposed to be doing is kind of lost. And then you become the guy, right? You become the leader, the, you know, one of the best people, if not the best on the track team. Mm-hmm. How did you handle that change of identity from the perspective of developing your skills? Um, when you say developing skills, do you mean skills as in like how to pertain to business or how like leadership skills? Yeah, it seems like one of the things you kind of mentioned a few times um, are those skills, those leadership skills. Um, and I'm sure there's probably time management and execution and planning. Um, but it seems like that was really the time when you started to develop those skills. So um, I guess what I'm interested in in really honing in on is how did you develop those skills and how did you use that proficiency and that confidence to really propel you forward? Gotcha. Um, so one of the things that had happened is, is I just kept getting better and better and I just have a natural talent for being able to, to run. Um, and one of the things that started to happen is, is not only was I the best on the team, but I started to become the best in the country or the county and then the best in the state. And so, um, one of the things is that a lot of people started to know who I was. And so I'd show up to a lot of the events and they go, Oh, you're Brandon Lucero and blah, 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 blah. And so I started to realize that, um, the team started to look up to me. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm getting all this attention. This is amazing. I started to be really self-aware of like what was happening around me. And I started to realize that the team was behind me, that the team, um, wanted to see me do really well. And then what I wanted to make sure, cause, cause cross country and track, it's a team sport. It's not an individualized thing. Although there is individual rankings and stuff is I started to realize that, um, what I said to them had an impact on their life. And so, and, and more so than anyone else on the team, where if I told them like great job, that would hold 10 times more weight than like the person who's down on the JV team. And so I started to realize my actions can influence other people in a really good way. And so there were a couple experiences where I said some not so nice things to some people on the team. And then I just saw that immediate reaction on their face and the reaction that it made me feel. And I just um, realized that I could either take this this um, skill that I have and um, this leadership role that I've kind of taken on without realizing that I was taking on and use it for something good versus something bad. And so um, for me, it made me feel, and I guess it's kind of a selfish thing, but it made me feel really good empowering other people and it, it, not even people from my team, like just other people from other teams. And, and one of the things was, and this is still holds true today, is I really take consideration into consideration what it's like for people to experience me and be around me. And that I, I kind of stemmed from that, that transition. So I guess to answer your question, like how that transition, how do I handle it? I don't think I handled it perfectly well in the beginning, but as soon as I saw like the amount of power I had to influence other people's feelings and the way they feel, I, I kind of took ownership of, of that. Um, one of the other things that we battled a lot with back then too, is the football team, like cross country team and football teams are like two and opposite ends of the spectrum of popularity. Um, so the football team would always give us a lot of stuff and, and my team, like people that I cared about, people that I trained with, um, 
people that I went to battle with every day were getting picked on all the time from, from the football team. But since I was so good at what I did, the football team had a little bit of respect. They would never, they would never bother me. So I'd always step in and help out my team when they needed to. And so, um, I don't know. I just kind of recognized the responsibility and just took it on myself to make sure that people around me were empowered and people around me were, you know, doing the best they could. And, and I had the power to make them feel good or bad. And I just decided that I want to make them feel good. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but hopefully it does. <laughs> Absolutely. And many more questions. So you kind of like read my mind a little bit. Yeah. Um, you mentioned how developing that self-awareness was that turning point or, or it was responsible for that turning point or at least initiating it. Right. I feel like in the business world, being very aware of both yourself, your skills, your strengths, your weaknesses, and of everybody else, the customer, your team, the competitors is critical to success. So yeah. from your experience and based on your experiences, can you talk about how to develop that self-awareness if you may be struggling with that at this point? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing for me about self-awareness is is a lot of it isn't necessarily going to come from you realizing things. For me personally, a lot of it is just hearing from other people and being open to that feedback. And so for me, that was a big learning curve. Um, but this year in business, we've seen really massive growth. And part of that growth was because I brought on my CEO, I brought on, you know, an integrator, and I listened to her, and she tells me something. And I'm open to it. I'm open to the feedback. Um, and I just started to realize people are telling me things, because they're observing things. And I can either just keep doing what I'm doing. But if I don't have the results that I want, then what, what the heck's the point of doing that? So I think step one is just finding the people that you trust and listening to them. And especially if they're in the business with you, that's, that's extremely helpful. Um, the other thing is also look at the people that you love. So the people that may not be involved in the business, uh, husband, wife, girlfriend, uh, boyfriend, brother, sister, mom, dad, whatever. Um, even though it could be hard sometimes, you have to listen to those things as well. And then it also becomes, the, and the third piece of that for me was just being very, very open to what I actually enjoy doing in the business. So for me, like realizing, oh, I don't like structure, so why am I trying to create the structure? Or I'm realizing I don't like um, being organized, or I'm not very good at being organized, or I like things are all over the place. And just, I think being okay with not being right all the time and just being very, um, open to what you actually like and what you don't like, because clearly the things that you don't like are probably stuff that you're not very good at. Um, so I would say those are the three things, listening to the people around you who you trust, listening to people that you love, um, because we all have blind spots. It doesn't matter how self-aware you actually are. There's going to be stuff that you're not good at that you just are not aware of. So you have to listen to other people. And then, uh, the third one is just being very open and aware of what you are good at and what you enjoy inside of the business. To everybody who's listening right now, I truly encourage you to actually go back and listen to this entire interview a couple times, specifically that last part on self-awareness and how to develop it. Those three things that you just mentioned, Brandon, those mm -hmm. were gems. 
and I highly encourage everybody who's listening to go back and listen a couple of times because there were a lot of layers to what Brandon just said. I'm not even sure I caught them all. It was, <laughs> that was awesome. So yeah, um, good. So so thank you for that. Um, yeah, of course. As you're moving from high school mm-hmm. into college, right? I believe mm-hmm. you said you got a full ride to UC Irvine. Um, I did. Yeah. Can you talk about how that transition went from high school to college and share your experiences when you were in college? Yeah, so um, a lot changed from high school to college. Number one, I broke my back um, going in between college and, uh, or between high school and college. And so I was up in Mammoth, which is uh, a mountain town near where we are. And uh, we were all cliff jumping. I was with the UC Irvine team. We we're doing camp and I ended up jumping off this big cliff and landed wrong and, and broke my back. And so going from college, like high school, being the top guy, being one of the best in the state, going into college, you're, you're surrounded by all of the top guys and all of the best of the best. And so, I mean, it's NCAA division one, like it's, it's the best of the best in the entire country. And then, so to go from being the best to now not even being able to run, um, and then trying to heal the back and do all of that stuff and come back and just get my butt handed to me, um, was a very humbling experience. And I was also around so in, in high school, I kind of found my place. I'm the leader. I'm this, you know, I'm the guy who boosts everybody up. But when you're in college, you don't like, you don't need, none of those guys need that. They were all the leaders. They were all the people that boosted everyone up. And so it was just kind of like, where is my place? I'm not the number one anymore. And so you kind of lose that identity a little bit. Um, so for me, that was, that was a very hard thing to kind of process and to go through and, and it raised some insecurities and, and like my ability to do all that stuff. But at the same time, a lot of those guys on the team became my best friends for life. And so, um, we've been friends with them for 15 years and we still get together all the time and hang out all the time. Like they're some of my closest friends. Um, a lot of them have turned out to be either business owners or one of them turned out to be a professional cyclist. Another one turned out to be, uh, a doctor. Like they're all super, super successful. And so, it's it we were just surrounded in that environment and when you're when you go from like being the best to now being surrounded by everyone that's the best you either fall apart or you get raised up and so we all kind of like up leveled ourselves but it was never a competition thing um but i would say that first year was it was a little rough um in again rediscovering who i was and what i wanted to do and um again i guess that's the first sign of that self-awareness thing where I realized like I am, I don't enjoy school (laughs) and I don't want to be here and I need to figure out ways to get out and I don't want to do a job and I hate structure. And I just, so that's for me, it's just kind of self-discovering again, who I wanted to be. And that like after college, like it's, it's real life, you know, it's, it's adulthood. And so I got to start getting my, my stuff together. Um, and then I was only in college for about two and a half years, about halfway through my sophomore year, I think, or junior year. I can't remember. Um, that's when I ended up dropping out and working for my dad. And so the transition was hard. It was a confusing one, but it just, it, it was really a humbling experience that allowed me to kind of like get a taste of this whole entrepreneurship thing and really discover that like, that's what I want to do. Um, so that's kind of my college experience. I wasn't really in college for that long, maybe a year and a half, two years, two and a half at the most. When you started to dabble in entrepreneurial ventures mm-hmm. maybe dabble is not the right word but when you first got introduced to entrepreneurship and building stuff and trying to make money online 
how did that even come on your radar? Like, what was the uh, the the origin of that? Like, where did that come from? So, I it came. I think it. I, well, I know it came from my dad. So my dad's a firefighter, and he would always try these things on the side, and um, he nothing for him really took off. And then he went all in once he retired into this business, and he started going into the online world and so he had friends who were um and this is like the height of the internet and so he had friends that were building out websites getting them ranked and selling them for a million or two million like these lead gen sites and doing stuff and so he taught he was showing me like here's lead gen sites and here's um what drop shipping is and here's what this is and he starts showing me all these ideas and so i was kind of introduced to this whole idea that you can make money online um but from there what it really started to happen as I started looking there was this one site in particular called collegehumor.com. And so I started looking at what they were doing. It's just these college guys having fun, posting funny videos and posting funny content. And like, I, I think MySpace was the thing back then. So I was like looking at MySpace and people were embedding these pictures on their site and all this stuff. And I was like, well, it's so cool. Like the site's amazing. And I would love for this to be my, and I saw them, I saw them making this their full-time job. And I was like, I would love to have a job where my buddies and I are all working in an office, like sharing funny pictures and videos and laughing our butts off and all of that stuff. And so I started to put these humor sites together and started learning like coding and all of this stuff. Um, and then I started trying to figure out how to drive traffic to them. And so um, I, I obviously figured out how to drive traffic. And a lot of it was from MySpace and getting embed codes that link back to your site and doing a lot of that type of stuff. Um, but I would say that's really the first taste of it was just my dad introducing the idea and then me seeing the college humor guys uh, going after it and making that their full time income and like me wanting to do the same thing. Um, but then I started to actually sell the sites because I needed money. And so I would sell the sites and be like two grand on the first one. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, cause two grand back then was like life changing. It was like, you feel like a millionaire when you're broke and then all of a sudden someone hands you a $2,000 check. Um, and then I just got better and better at it and I started selling for like six grand, eight grand, 10 grand. And, um, and then, um, then I got a job and got comfortable basically. But, um, that's how I got introduced to the entire online world stuff. When you were figuring this stuff out and you were figuring out, okay, I need to build this site, fill it with content, drive traffic to it, and then go from there. How did you decide which specific strategies to use in order to drive the traffic, in order to get the content? Like, How did you go about making that decision on which strategy to pursue? Um, it wasn't like I had a pile of strategies and was like, this is the one I'm going to go. It was more of, of me trying to figure out how to do it and just testing a bunch of stuff. Um, I, I, I would say the easiest thing was kind of reverse engineering what a lot of people were doing. And so a lot of it came from MySpace and offering embed codes where you can post stuff on your MySpace profile or someone else's MySpace profile. Um, but a lot of it also came from a lot of the popular humor sites. They, so the, the humor sites back then would have like funny videos and then they would have a category for funny pictures and then a category for funny whatever. And then one of the categories is what they call hot links. So it's like funny hot links where you can submit a link to something funny that's not on their site and they will actually provide it. They will give you a link on their homepage and you can click over and every day there's a new fresh new set of links. So what I would do. And one of the things, and I discovered it by accident, 
was I would just go to all the popular guys and take all of their stuff and put it on my site. And then I would just link, like if they didn't have it, I would just link to each other's things, but it all linked back to mine. So like, like, Oh cool. We haven't seen this, but it might've come from website a over here. And then, but I had the piece of content now, so they would link it back to me and back to me and back to me. So with the hot link section and then also the embed codes on top of that, things would just like take off really fast because people would love the content. They would laugh their butt off and then they would see an embed code. They would paste it on MySpace or whatever. So it was just like this thing. It was just like, it would just take off super, super fast. Um, but the thing is, is that it was a never, it was never, a uh, um, um, I guess, a, a full, it was always a temporary thing. It was never a long lasting thing. So you'd get all this traffic and there was no brand loyalty. Like there was no, they were just like, Oh, cool. Paste it, whatever. I'm not coming back to this site. So that was the biggest problem. So every time I sold the sites, I would tell people, this is how I'm driving the traffic, like go do it and you'll get the traffic. But um, I wanted to turn it into a full-time gig. And in order to do a full-time gig, you needed to create that loyalty. And so on the very last site that I did, um, our biggest thing was we post new content every two hours. And so what I would do is find 12 pieces of content and then I would just streamline it and have it auto post every two hours so that, um, people would always see fresh content because no one was doing that at the time. So on this side, I would drive all this traffic and we have it everywhere. Like come back in two hours, a new video, come back in two hours, a new video. So we got known, uh, the site was called bean.com. So it's like bean, like you got bean with a baseball. Um, and so it was bean.com and I put a lot of money into it and people just kept coming back and back. And even to the point where my buddies, uh, would start sending me links that their friends were sending them. And it was my own website. And I was like, that's when you know you made it. And so um, I mean, we were getting hundreds of thousands of visitors a month, but it just became such a grind. And I, I, my biggest problem was I never figured out how to actually monetize it. So, uh, so I would drive all this traffic, but I never figured out like other than just running ads, like Google AdSense, which didn't pay very much because no one really wants to advertise on a humor site. Um, I, I never figured out how to monetize it. So I just kept building them up and selling them and hoping that someone else would figure out how to monetize it. And so that was my biggest problem is I just never really knew how to turn it into uh, a business. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I figured out the strategies of driving the traffic. So you went then from building these, these sites, learning these things to, I believe you said working for your dad's company. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also believe you said that you started to get comfortable during that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What caused you to get comfortable? Like, what was the root of it? Why did that happen? Um, the reason why I got comfortable was one, I was getting paid pretty well, very well for, and I, I didn't start off getting paid very well. I got paid peanuts when I first started, but I built up and the company kept growing. And so I got moved up into the vice president of production overseeing, we're doing like a thousand or more videos a month. And so I was overseeing that production process. So I got paid really well as I was probably 24 at the time, 25, maybe. So as a 24, 25 year old kid, as probably, I don't know, 80, 90,000 a year or something like that. Um, and that, so that was one side of it. But the second side of it is that the intention of the company was for me to eventually take over and run it one day. And so knowing that I had this good paycheck and knowing that this could potentially be my company or my opportunity to be the business owner, the entrepreneur, um, was kind of in the back of my mind. And so 
it kind of fulfilled that need to want to be my own boss and to do my own thing. So I was like, yeah, this is perfect. I like this and I can do this and I like the employees and this is going to be mine eventually. So I kind of felt like I was in a sense building something that was eventually going to be my business anyways. Um, and then obviously it didn't turn out that way. So that was kind of the combo, the, the two punch combo that put me into a state of comfortability. If you don't mind me asking, because I know sometimes these things can be sensitive, mm-hmm. But what happened to cause that company to stop existing and stop working? Yeah, and so, um, man, it's like, where do I start? <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of things that that had happened um, in the company. So keep the story uh, keep the story short. Basically, um, overpaying employees. Um, and overpaying employees that didn't even need to be there. Um, no sales and marketing, like other than going to trade shows and things like that, there was no other way of bringing in clients. And that was a big problem. Um, that, and also, well, I guess those are probably the two main things. I think keeping people on staff for way too long, overpaying everyone on staff, um, and then also having no plan for growth. There was no no consistent plan. It was like, we're just going to go to a trade show and hope we can get clients. And if we do, great. If we don't, whatever. Um, oh, and then I would say the third thing is, is being way too dependent on like one or two clients for most of your revenue. So there was, I mean, there was one company in particular that was like 80% of the revenue. And then they dropped off. They're like, we're just going to do this in-house now. And so when you're way dependent on an external company like that, it puts it puts your whole company in, in jeopardy. Um, so I'd say those are the three things that had kind of happened all at once. And it was like this – it was over the course of a year or two. It was just a gradual, 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 gradual. And then nothing got better. There was no plan on to bring it back out. There's no plan of how are we going to fix this. It was just It was just a downhill ship. And so, um, I ended up even having to, to quit. So like paychecks weren't coming in and I wasn't being fired. So I had quit, couldn't collect employment and do any of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was a tough, it was a tough time for sure. And it was a tough time that lasted for a few years, but at the same time, um, I'm beyond grateful for the experience because now that I'm running my own company and also it being a video company and ironically, my office is in the same building of where that my dad's business was. And so, um, like letting employees go when we need to, or, um, n- not overextending ourselves financially by, cause we're doing great and we give everyone a, a huge raise, like that stuff that, that would happen in that company. And, um, knowing not to do that and knowing that it's better to the company, like companies need profit. Companies need to have a savings account and companies need to have money in order to survive. And that was never a thing over there. It was never a thing of like, here's our financials. Here's our financials in order. Here's what our revenue is. Here's what our profit is. Here's what our savings account is at. Here's how many months we can survive if all of our clients are just gone overnight. Cause all of that stuff can happen at any time. Um, so looking at a, the company from a financial standpoint was never a conversation over there, but that experience now as we're growing, um, it's a great experience for me to have. Cause now I know like I've seen those mistakes happen and I'm not letting them happen here. And so without that experience, I, I could have fall, fallen into that same trap. So it, it was hard, but extremely grateful for, for that experience for sure. Once you decided to quit, what did you do immediately after that? So the journey for 
quitting was, it was a long one. Um, and it was mainly like, I didn't want, even though paychecks were coming in late and sometimes they were skipped, I was still getting money in, in order to survive. So for me, I was, I was working there. I was, then I was working as like a door to door salesman for a few hours after that job. And then I was working in my garage, building out websites and just doing anything I could to make money. And all I wanted was make $10,000 a month and be able to make my own money and be financially fine and just be able to quit. I did not want to quit without knowing that I had something else lined up. So during up until the point where I quit, I was already testing things. I was already doing things. I was following um, Pat Flynn at the time from the Smart Passive Income, and I was uh, doing a lot of these niche sites that he was talking about and doing. Um, and then it just got to a point, I just got to a breaking point where enough was enough and I couldn't continue down that path. So what I ended up doing is my wife and I moved in with my in-laws. So we lived at her parents' house rent free. So that got rid of a, a big financial burden. Um, and then she supported us. So she supported us on her salary and her salary was just enough to pay our bills without needing me to bring in any money. And, um, and I just started doing those niche sites. I just started ranking websites and learning the SEO and, and, and running Google AdSense on it. And like I had it down to a science, like I would just sit there every day and write articles and post them and find the keywords and do it. And it was working and I was getting these backlinks and I was doing the whole thing. Like it built it up to a thousand, two thousand dollars a month. And like things I could, I could finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it took me like six months to get there, um, after, after quitting, but I was doing it. And so the, the whole algorithm changed and like all of that was just gone overnight and it's like, Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of like that. That's what I started doing once I quit. It was those niche sites. And then from there, um, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I just fell back into video because I'm like, I know video and I know video marketing. And I, then I realized I didn't know video at all. Um, because I wasn't selling anything or doing anything. And then I just combined the SEO tactics to videos and saw that they ranked. And I just, that was really the start and in, into the direction where, of where we are now, which is like video marketing, messaging and, and that type of stuff. But, but yeah, as soon as I quit, that's, that's what I was doing. When you started to fall back to video, to what you know, and you started mixing SEO and video from there, how did you, how did you start or how did you maybe transition that into what you're doing now? Like what was that growth path? Yeah. Um, so the bit, I think the biggest thing for me was that when I went down that path, I just, I just thought I knew everything. Like I was just this arrogant 26, 27 year old kid who thought he knew everything it was like, and I didn't know anything and I still don't know anything. I just, I mean, um, I'm very, very well aware that like, I, I just, there's so much stuff that I don't know. And so I was, that whole journey was a very humbling experience, but, um, really what happened was I just started doing the SEO and I didn't know how to price it or do any of that stuff. So I started just slapping a price tag on it and selling it. And I was like, well, I need to drive traffic. So what do I do? I'm like, well, I know how to rank video. So why don't I just start doing YouTube videos? So I started doing YouTube SEO and YouTube marketing, selling YouTube marketing services. So I would get ranked for like video SEO, how to rank, how to make videos, how to do all that stuff and then drive the traffic, um, back to my site. But I didn't know the conversion side. I, I, the traffic would come in, but no one was buying. And so, um, I just did that for the longest time and just kept testing and tweaking things until one day, finally I was out with my wife and her family and I just got like 
um, a notification on my phone. This is like a sale. And it was my first sale ever um, for $397. I know. I was like, oh my God, it's working. Um, and so then a, and another sale would come in like a week later, but it wasn't enough to make it consistent. It was, it was like, cool, we made 400 bucks today. And then, you know, like nine days would go by and then like another one. But then I had to do all the work and then I had to make these videos for 100 bucks and I had to, and I was pricing everything based on the model that had worked for my dad's company. But the problem was, is that they were getting consistent orders from, from each, each, uh, client, like each client would send them like 400 orders. And so I was pricing things as if I was getting 400 orders, but I was only getting like one here, one there. So everything was just broken. Um, and then I kind of fell back into like, get, like going the course route of like teaching, how do we rank? Maybe, maybe I can make money by teaching how to rank videos and how to do that stuff. Um, and it was right around that time I met James Wedmore, um, who's now like, he's been a great mentor for me over the years. And he's now like one of my bestest, best and closest friends. And, um, but back then I was just kind of like, who is this other guy teaching YouTube and SEO? Cause that's what he was teaching the same thing I was. Um, and I ended up meeting him and we sat down for coffee. We just geeked out for like four hours talking about YouTube and stuff. And he's like, you know what? You're doing the actual YouTube marketing for businesses that I don't do that. But the number one question I get asked is, how do you take this YouTube stuff and how do you sell it to local businesses? And that's what I was doing. But he's like, your business model is out of whack. I need you. He's like, if you can make $10,000 a month selling this YouTube marketing to people, um, we can turn that into a product and sell it to my audience. And I was just like, sign me up. I will do it. It doesn't matter what it takes. And um, he's like, you need to change the business model. He said, instead of SEO being a one-time thing, make it a reoccurring thing and then go charge a thousand to $2,000 for a single video instead of a hundred bucks. Um, I just trusted that he knew what he was talking about. Come to find out later. He's like, I had no idea if that would work. <laughs> but he's like, but I just told you it would. Um, and so I went out the very next day, printed out flyers, walked door to door. And I signed up the very first person within four hours of working door, walking door to door. Uh, they bought a thousand dollar video and they signed up for $250 a month for SEO. And then from there, it was just, it was just game over. It was just like, that's all I focused on is like, get to that level, get to that level. And I think within my, my numbers might be a little off, but I think within six months we were at like 14 grand a month or something like that. And then I, like text James. I'm like, we did it. I'm there. Like, let's put this thing together. It took like another year or so because he had a bunch of other projects going on, but that turned into, um, a program called local video Academy, which we released like four years ago, maybe. And we did a few million dollars in sales over that four years with the product. It did really well. And I learned how to run a business. I learned how to sell online. I learned a lot of that stuff. Um, and so I started putting together my own courses, my own programs. And then what he did for me, I started doing for other people, like partnering with them, like, let's get your course up and let's get it. And so I started doing that. Um, and then from there, I met another mentor, his name's Jim Fortin, who taught me a lot about influence persuasion and how the human mind works and how to um, write copy and how to do a lot of that stuff. And then as soon as James and I kind of split on Local Video Academy, I kind of dove into this whole influence persuasion thing. And it takes me down the path I'm in now, which is, is, is um, understanding identities that people hold and beliefs that people hold and where suffering really comes from. And like, all I want to do now is just remove suffering in people's lives through content and messaging and removal of beliefs that aren't serving people. And like we use video to do that. Um, and so that's kind of been my path from like, from niche sites to where we are now. So we talked a lot about what you did in the past mm -hmm. and how you've gotten to where you are now. Yeah. But can you talk about specifically what you're focusing on now? And please don't be afraid to brag a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> sure. So um, the, the thing I want to do now, and this is going to sound cliche, but I'll explain to you how we're going to do it, is I want to change first society of like where we are in the United States, and I want it to go worldwide. And one of the ways, and my whole idea in thinking about what, what we do is, and I want to obviously impact people, but what most people don't realize and what's going on in most people's heads is what they think to be true is never really true. And what they hold on as truth is usually a belief um, based off past, past experiences. For example, if you have a past experience of, of three failed webinars, you're going to start to form this belief that you're like you're not good at webinars or webinars don't work when in fact they do there's tons of people that are out there but you personally will have this belief and so that but this and that's just one example this happens every single day of our lives it's just what experiences do and so um there's a lot of suffering going on in the world and there's a lot of suffering going on in society because of these beliefs and people have never separated beliefs from truth and tr beliefs from reality. And so when we create content and what I teach people and what I do for my clients is working with them on how do we remove these beliefs that are causing suffering in people's lives? How do we do that for your audience? And when you can do that for your audience, they latch on to you like nothing you've ever seen. Um, but my idea and the fun fundamentals of what I want to do and how I want to impact people is I want to impact um, a billion people this year. And, and I, I do that not through me personally, but through working with people that have audiences or working with people to develop an audience. And then that can, can and so it's like a, this ripple effect. Um, but I do just strongly believe that if you have a message that you want to stand up for, that's going to improve someone's life. I am the person who can show you how to do it in a way that it processes in the human mind and a way the human mind forms reality. And so uh, I mean, I go really deep into how reality is created and that's where I create content from and that's where I teach from and that's what I do. Um, so that's what I want to want to do. And we've started this path, um, specifically this path, like maybe nine months ago. And so around nine months ago, I got, I got rid of everything I was selling. I don't do SEO stuff anymore. I don't do YouTube marketing. I don't do any of that stuff. I created my methodology called the video 4X effect. And that was a scary time. Like I went into debt. I w did a lot of stuff. Like I had a failed launch right around that time. I got rid of, I had no income. I had got rid of all of my income. I started hiring people. And when you start hiring with no income and you had a failed launch, like you just, you go into debt pretty quick. So I went into debt, um, but I went all in on, on this methodology. And so within nine months I hired, um, my integrator, she was the very first one. Her name's Taylor and she's now my COO and it was just her and I, and every day we just worked towards the same goal. And it was just, I just never knew how efficient and how powerful I can become when there's someone by my side who has all the strengths that are my weaknesses, who's working towards the same goal, who's in the trenches with me and has my back. And like, I saw that firsthand. Um, and we like, we're the dynamic deal. Like we can just, we got in there and we kicked ass and we launched this thing and we started building out a team. And, um, within the first nine months, we've done 1.3 million in sales and um on a brand new product that would didn't even exist nine months ago and with this methodology um, we sell it on three levels so it's a done for you service which is a high-end retainer there's a coaching program where we do it with you and then there's a course which is done for you or sorry do it yourself and and so that's what we've done and the whole mission behind what we do is like 
we're here to change we're, we're here to change the world but it's not this like cliche i'm going to change the world by inventing a cool water bottle it's like no i'm going to get down to the basis of where humans create reality and i'm going to show you that you can create any reality you want or one of my clients is going to and that we're going to remove these beliefs that you don't even realize you're causing suffering in your life you know like you hate going to your job who says that you even need to have a job there's ways to live life you don't want to go to school who says you need to go to school like that was an uh, a belief system that you've taken on and it's not real you know it's just it, none of nothing is real it's all an illusion and so um that's kind of the direction we're heading and like i finally feel like i'm truly on my path and like this is my purpose and there's nothing that's going to get in my way of 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 fulfilling on it and so it's um the last nine months have been quite quite the ride quite the experience it's been it's been a lot of fun a lot of fun it seems like at the core you've tapped into an ability to persuade other people by mm -hmm. removing certain negative or false beliefs Mm -hmm. in in pushing them towards a better outcome and through that better outcome you know giving them the steps which would be the things that you want them to do is that kind of the core of of the philosophy yeah it is um it's it's you know for example i'll just give you an example um one of the examples out there is the belief that you know you need to work your face off and grind and that that's what success that's how you become successful but then I can use what we call slide of mouth pattern just to say something which is chunking up and I can say, well, does that mean everyone who works hard automatically becomes successful? Because I know plenty of people who work hard and never have anything to show for it. And if you don't really know what's going on, you could end up working your entire life and have nothing to show for. Is that, is that really what you want? And so people like people, people will hear and I'll just like Gary Vaynerchuk is a big proponent of working hard and and seeing success. And like, I do think you need to work hard, but I don't think that's the secret to success. And so, but a lot of people get stuck into that belief and then they'll just work and work and work and they'll never address what's actually going on. And so that's a big problem. And I don't want, and th 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 that's just one example of, of many. And so what we use is a lot of like the slide of mouth patterns. Cause the idea is, is that if, if things are belief, they can be discredited and almost everything is a belief. And so we operate from the understanding of the only truth in the world is what the video camera would capture. So if you and I are having this conversation right now, the video camera would capture two people exchanging words, but anything outside of that is all beliefs formed by the human. And, and so, um, which can all be discredited. So you could have your interpretation of this interview. I could have my interpretation of this interview. Someone listening would have, and you have three different realities of what was created from this interview. And none of it is true. It's all just story and interpretation. And unless that story and interpretation is going to serve your life, why do we even have it? And so we create content that looks at what are those most common things that are causing suffering in your niche that you can just get rid of. And so, you know, one of the things that people, people get really weirded out when I start start talking like influence persuasion and like, well, aren't you manipulating people? And aren't you doing this? And the, the thing that I, I look at this is, is like, I'm doing it to, to help people. Uh, number one, number two is you're never going to be able to force someone to think something or to do something they don't want to do just because of your words, especially in a five minute video. And so what we're doing is we're removing blocks so that people feel good saying yes to things they already want to say yes to anyways. And so, for example, if someone's under the belief that they want to, they need to work hard and be successful, but they don't actually like doing it, but they think that's what they need to do. And I can come in and remove that block from them and make them feel like 
okay, I don't need to work hard. What do I like, where can I focus on? That's what I'm doing for people is we're removing those blocks and these barriers and these ideologies and these thoughts that they have created um, without even realizing they created. We're just removing them so they can move into places where they actually do want to go. Because at the end of the day, I can't say words and force you to do something you don't want to do. It's just not going to happen. Um, so that's kind of the basis of where we're, we're operating from. First of all, I think that's brilliant. Thank um, you. And it seems like you're pulling from a lot of different uh, a lot of different uh, uh, realms or disciplines, if you will. Like it seems like there's definitely psychology, sociology, like cognitive behavior, neurolinguistic program, like all these different things. It seems like mm -hmm. it's kind of coming together. And I think that is awesome. Right. I think that's that's yeah. really cool. Um, for for those people who may be saying, okay, clearly I have some I probably have some beliefs that I'm not aware of that are holding me back or not allowing me to be happy or, or getting in the way of what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um I believe that is one huge um one huge segment of the population. They're going to say, I need that yeah. just to help me. Yeah. But on the other side, it seems like there are creators and business owners and brands who want to tap into this power. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you make sure that those who are tapping into it and those who are trying to use it in a different way, like how do you – how do you balance that? How do you how do you make sure that no one is is being dominated by the other, if you will? Yeah. Okay. So so the understanding is that, or the way that I operate, and I guess, and this is even a belief too, but that you we will never be able to force someone to do something they don't want to do. And so one of the ways that I teach people to do this is to play into the identity of the person that you want. And so when we look at Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I, he, he is a master at this and he's really good at this. And when you look at like how he blew up so fast, what he does is he plays into the identity of the entrepreneur. And so, which means he's pushing away the identity of anyone who identifies anything but an entrepreneur, like the person, the nine to five professional is not really going to listen to his message. So if we look at Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, and we say like, okay, you're using this influence persuasion, this NLP, and you're doing all of this stuff to play into the identity once you've been manipulating like that nine to five person to like, well, go be an entrepreneur, even though they want to, they don't want to. And no, because they want to be a nine to five. That's what their identity is. And so what they do is they, they will actually reject you. So instead of manipulating people, you get them to reject you, which is fine. They can go off and they can do whatever. You can't help everybody. But what you are doing is you're playing into the identity of the person that you do want to help and you do want to connect. And those people want it, but they just have all this stuff, invisible stuff happening. And what we're doing is we play into the identity first, which automatically means that anyone that's not going to want to go in that direction is automatically just pushed away. And so for me, that's the biggest thing. Thing, um, in order, and it's a beautiful thing because in order for it to be effective, you have to automatically push away those other people. Um, and so there's never any, it's, it's, and it's I'm not, it's not like hypnotizing. I'm not putting people under a spell. I'm not doing whatever, you know, it's just, it's just, you're communicating in the way 
that the human mind processes information and you're communicating in a way where you're raising people's awareness to levels that they haven't hit before. And at the end of the day, it's still up to them to take responsibility for, do I want to do it? This block has been removed. So even though we teach this stuff, um, in my, my, again, this, this is all just a belief, but my belief is that it would never be used in a negative way. Um, because the identity of the person who would perceive it as negative would automatically be pushed away anyways. Um, and w the way I teach it is always from the foundation of we do this because we want to help people. We do this because we're leading with love. We do this because um, we have a message and we want to stand out because of that message. We want to shift the world. And when that's my content and that's my upfront intention and that's the energy that I'm putting out there and that's the vibration I'm operating at, those are always the people that, that come in into the sphere. Um, so I don't know, does that, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you, you know, sharing that and, and, you know, explaining more about that because, you know, I think this is an extremely powerful, uh, philosophy or, or system. I'm not exactly sure what you call it, but, but it's very powerful. Whatever it is, it is ve yeah. it, it's very powerful. Um, so I'm very interested. You you mentioned how you've developed it, you know, and it seems like you've kind of taken all of the things that you've learned mm -hmm. and you've put it all together and you've extracted this beautiful philosophy from it. Yeah. What would you say or who would you say were some of the biggest influences to crafting this philosophy? Yeah. Um well, number one is Jim Fortin, who's been one of my biggest mentors. I talked about him a little bit earlier. Um, he has a whole background on NLP, influence persuasion. I mean, he did it for years as a therapist. Um, and so he, and so what he's been teaching me a lot of this stuff and originally taught it to me to be a better coach, like how to coach people out of their stuff. And then, so what I've done over the years is taken it and applied it to content. How do we do it instead of a one-on-one -on -one thing? How do we apply it to content? So people latch onto it and how do we make a bigger impact with it? And so that's been my biggest shift with it all over the last year or so. So he was number one. He was the biggest influence um, by far. The second influence was actually stems from um, a company called uh, Landmark, uh, Landmark Forum, which is a personal development company. Uh, some people are probably it's it's they're pretty big, and so the I, the way that they taught and the way that they moved people out of things and the way they showed what a story was and what how we attach meaning to things was a very interesting concept and the way they taught that like we live such an individualized reality, um, or sorry, we, we don't live an individualized reality. We think like the way we perceive the world is how everyone is perceiving the world, but all it is is individual realities and everyone on this planet is just as scared as you are. Like that kind of concept also played a big role in it. Um, and then James Wedmore also played a little bit of a role in it just because he loves like the personal development, the mindset stuff. So him and I are always like going back and forth on different things and what reality actually is in universes. And like, I mean, we go deep down the rabbit hole. Um, and then the final influence is a lot of it comes from shamanism, which is like a kind of a spiritual belief. But um, I work with someone and teach teaches me a lot of these concepts of what reality actually is and um how we form reality and what the universe actually like deep deep stuff and deep concepts that i never would have thought i would have ever learned um that plays a role in and so all four of these 
these different influences kind of like come together and and create um, what we put out in content and really what the basis of it is is how do we how, like just how do we how do we be happy and and why are people actually unhappy and a lot of unhappiness stems from because people think that things need to be a certain way and they live in a box and so th- there's these outside influences forcing people to live in a box and uh for me like i still have moments of unhappiness and like i am human but I've been slowly and slowly learning how to live outside that box and remove these beliefs and do all that stuff. And I want to teach other people to do it, but not in the way of like, I'm going to be your coach and I'm going to do da, 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 da. I want to do it in the way of like, how do we do this on a mass scale by putting out content that gets people to live outside the box of, of this box that reality, that um, society has created for them and, and their own mind has created for them. So those are my four, four influences. We've talked a lot about what you've done in the past. We're talking about what you're doing right now, which is incredibly fascinating, incredibly mm-hmm. fascinating. Where do you see yourself going five, 10, 20 years down the road? Man, this changes all the time. Um, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't really know. Um, I just know what I'm doing now and I know what I want to do. And I just, I just want to live life and I just want to have fun. And I just don't want to live someone else's agenda. And, um, I don't know, like I could, like, I know my five-year vision from here is having the, the business be at 15, $20 million and working with the best people in the industry and creating amazing events for people. But like when I really look down, um, I, I work really well with Jim Fortin. I work really well with James Wedmore and all of our stuff complements each other very, very well. And I just, I don't, I don't know if I had to pick 20 years from now, like all three of us are kind of doing something individually, but also that's all, um, synergistically and just moving millions and millions and millions of people into a place that's going to make society better. Um, that's just going to make people happy. Um, I, I just think that if people just had even five degrees more happiness in their life, like this world would be a better place to be less fights and less arguments. And I want people to have freedom. I want to, I want to teach people that freedom comes from the internal place. Like if someone says something and it irritates you, it's not on the person, it's on you. Like they, like you're giving them your freedom. Um, and I want to teach people that. And I think it all starts with content in the internet and getting that stuff out there. So I have no idea what, what 20, 20 years is going to look like. I just know that I just know what I want to do and I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it will. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the best answer that I can, I can give. One of the, one of the bedrocks of this show mm-hmm. is connection, right? It's called, yeah. you know, project egg. The, the egg stands for entrepreneurs gathering for growth, right? Connecting. Mm-hmm. There's a connection between you and I, right? As friends, mm-hmm. as guest host, there's mm-hmm. a connection between you and the audience, between me and the audience, the audience between each other, right? I am obsessed with connection. Yeah. And I would love to know what your philosophy is on building true 
meaningful and very deep connection with another human being. And I know it's kind of similar to what you've been talking about, but I really wanted to ask this directly. Yeah, I think connection to everything. Um, I think as successful, I think your success in business is a direct reflection of how much connection you're building with an audience and with customers. Um, My belief and my interpretation of connection is that it's formed from identity. And when you can, when you can connect with people that have a very similar identity um, or core value belief system as you, it's, it's like instant connection. Um, And I also believe, and this may be a little, I don't know how woo woo your audience is, but I also believe in like past lives and past lives connections. And I think that this lifetime is not just a one-time thing. And I think that like a lot of people that are really important in your life, you've, your life is a series of lives, um, so to speak. And, um, I believe that there's a lot of like past life connection in people, but I, I do think from just in this plane, in this lifetime and in this dimension, I do think that, um, connection is pretty much built off of sharing identities, sharing core values, um, and sharing a, a belief system. Um, is, what would be my, my simple answer of how connection is built and connection is, is really established. What is your greatest fear? Oh gosh. Um, that's a good question. I don't know if I really fear a lot anymore nowadays. Um, you know, my, I think, well, you know, if I had to pick a fear, it would be losing the people that I have connection with and the people that I do care about and not losing them in the sense of like they die and they go somewhere else. Like I look at what I want to build and my biggest fear would be losing people that are helping me build what I want to do that I think I, you know, I connect with. And so like a lot of my employees, um, if my employees that I feel like are a vital thing and like they were just gone, I would, um, I would still be successful and I would still do whatever, but uh, that would, that would be a big damper on my day. I feel (laughs) so, um, so yeah, I think that, and then obviously when it comes to like family and, um, my kids and things like that, like, um, I think, I think just losing people that are important to me, um, and people that are helping me create what I want to create in the world is probably my biggest fear, but I don't really live in that much fear anymore. Like uh, going through this whole path and learning a lot of things that I learn, you just, you realize that fear doesn't really serve you and, um, fear is an illusion and it's not really real. Um, but I am human and I do slip back into things from time to time. But if I had to pick one, I would say that's, that's probably my biggest fear. Like the people that I have connection with losing them. How do you define wealth? Um, freedom. And I'm not talking just like you have financial, you have financial, um, freedom to do in time freedom. I'm talking about like real true freedom where someone can say something to you and it has zero effect on your life. Um, where you go about your day and you're not worried about judgment and you're, you're being you like, I, I think that that is the ultimate wealth and cause that doesn't matter it, it, when you live like that, it's, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. Um, it doesn't matter how many homes you own or the traditional things that people would think of when they think of wealth, when you live a truly free life where you're not 
your emotions and things aren't controlled by other people and you can just go on your day and be who you want to be. That's the ultimate thing. And that's why people will have millions of dollars and be unhappy and commit suicide because they haven't mastered this true abundance of, uh, and wealth and freedom. And so, um, I think that's the ultimate trap. Like, sure, you could be trapped and not have enough time. Sure, you could be trapped and not have enough money. But it doesn't matter if you have those things. You're always going to be trapped in the most painful way if you don't have true freedom and just being who you want to be and not having the, you know, having that fear of judgment, all that stuff. So, yeah, that's what I would say. If somebody right now wanted to earn your business. Mm-hmm. What is one obstacle or challenge that they could solve for you? Um, I think team building. <laughs> um, and so, and it's, it's, it's hard because we've seen so much growth in such a short period of time um, where my, my mission and things I focus on was our methodology, the video forex effect and the impact we want to make and all that stuff. And then we started hiring and we needed a team to help support the growth and to do all that stuff. And I feel like the last couple of months of my time has been more on figuring out this whole team thing and this new dynamic and like making sure everyone's happy and supported and just going through the motions of building a team. And it's been less on the content and the impact and whatever. And I was just telling James the other day, it's just like, man, I feel like I've transitioned from building a business to building a team. And he's like 100%. And so it's a, it's a whole new thing to me um, on figuring out how to navigate the whole thing. And so I would say that's that that's probably the biggest struggle we have right now. And the biggest thing I would definitely like, if you're an expert in that, come help me <laughs> for sure. So we've talked a lot about your professional life. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about your early personal life. But what has been going on in your personal life throughout this whole journey of of becoming an entrepreneur and and then kind of going backwards and then rebounding and now you're at this incredible place like what's been happening in your personal life throughout all of that you know my personal life has always been very stable um the 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 most disruptive thing in my personal life is basically like friends that are not in alignment with where I am anymore, uh, and trying to navigate that. And so, you know, like meeting up with old high school friends I've been friends with for 15 years, you still get into like victimization and playing the victim role and not taking responsibility for the life and doing that stuff. It's getting harder and harder for me to constantly be around that because one of the biggest things I've done as an entrepreneur is take full responsibility for everything in my life. Even if I right off the bat didn't feel like it was my fault, it's like I had some role. And so, Everything in your life that you have right now is a direct result of you, no one else but you. And so um, that's been the biggest thing. As far as like family and stuff goes, um, you know, my wife's always been very supportive. It's my my home home life has been more or less pretty stable. The biggest thing that's happened over the last few years is having kids. And so um, having kids and having a family while growing a business. And also my first, my son was born, my first kid was born um, while the business wasn't even in a stable spot. So to have like be living with my in-laws, not making any money to then now my wife's pregnant and she's having our, our first child. Um, and then she can be taking time off of work and I'm like, this has to work or I don't know what I'm going to do like that. That was a little challenging, but, um, I think it's just an ongoing thing from, it's going to be an ongoing thing for me is like, how do I navigate business growth and also family life and make sure there's enough time for both. And so 
Um, personal life has been stable except for those, those few things for sure. Kids are tough. They're tough. <laughs> so Brandon, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the interview today. It has been an yeah. absolute pleasure and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But um, I have two more questions for you. Then we'll uh, sure. then we'll wrap right yeah. up. Um, the first is: Is there anything that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about? In other words, what did I miss? Um, I I think you did a really good job capturing it all. Um, you asked a lot of questions that I've never been asked on any interview, which I think is amazing and awesome, um, and it really pulls out a lot. And so. I don't think there's really much um, that that you didn't you didn't capture. Uh, we, the only thing I would say is that we and I kind of tapped onto this in the last um, question, but it's like the one thing I I live my try try to live my life by is taking full responsibility for everything and understanding 100% what a victim and victim is and what a victim mentality is and staying outside of that. It's really, really important to me. And it's important for my team to know that as well. Um, and, um, integrity is like our number one value here and just doing what you say you're going to do. And so like the biggest thing for me is, is if I tell you I'm going to do something, um, I'm going to make sure that it gets done. And if I can't do it by the time I told you I'm going to do it, I'm going to be upfront and tell you about it and we'll figure out a solution. But I think like, that's that's at the core of my business and and me as well and i think a lot of successful people kind of operate the same way final question for you yep and it's a bit of a selfish question so i'd appreciate okay. if you humor me a little bit <laughs> sure um, i'm 24 years old i have a couple different businesses and i have my show yep what question should i be asking you that i just wouldn't think to ask um i think the more you can tap into the way that successful people think the better so i think you got a very good understanding of how my mind operates but i think that if you can truly understand how a successful person thinks how they take actions um why they take actions and how they manage quote-unquote fear would be great things for people to know. Um, what most people don't realize is that a lot of successful people all think the same way. And a lot of success is a directly, it's directly correlated to personal development. It, it really truly is. And it's like getting out of your own way. And I think there's a lot, people think that they need more strategies and they need more funnels and they need more whatever. And it's, it's not that at all. You need to just get out of your own way. You need to like tr change your thinking, change the way you make decisions, uh, change fears. It's, it's all in, in the mind. And I don't think a lot of people fully grasp that. Um, and I think you did it. You do a very good job of that, but I think the more you can tap into that, the better. Great. Well, Brandon, thank you so, so much. Um, again, you know, I'm very grateful that we got to spend this time together and, and share this time together is very special. Um, yeah. to, every, to everybody who's listening, I want to thank y'all so much. Um, you know, y'all are the reason that we do this and, uh, you know, I love you guys and thank you so, so much for supporting the show, for coming back and, and, uh, you know, continuing to watch interviews. I'm so very appreciative and, uh, you know, I love you guys. So thank you so much. Brandon, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. I just wanted to say, uh, thank you to you for having me on. I'm always so grateful. Anytime someone gives me an opportunity to speak, um, to their audience and, um, 
I just hope that I was able to add some value and hopefully add a new per- to a new perspective to your life on how to run a business, create content, and live. I guess. <laughs> so I, again, I would just appreciate the opportunity. It, it means the world. Well, thank you very much, and to everybody who's listening, this has been another Project Egg interview where we're helping you build your business and create your dream life so that we can all live in a better world together. Have a great day.